0: It sounds to me like the store is a new classroom, one for studying the art of persuasion. Which, of course, is important in order for Patrick to find his voice, no? Liz added. Well, while he is trying to persuade others, someone else is trying the art of persuasion on him.
1: Oh? Who would that be? Liz grinned.
0: Uh, Little Sarah Shelton, uh, who is not so little anymore.
1: Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. By the way, as you listen to this episode from the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and the Key, Keep in mind, you can download your very own copy of it by visiting Audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you'll find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, epicorderofthe On today's episode, we'll feature Chapter 25 from The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key. Uh, And it's called The Art of Persuasion. That is... If we can persuade Nigel's nephews and nieces to keep from tearing this place to pieces. With our dog and our cat, we'll all see to that this incessant noise finally ceases. Liz, do something!
0: Meow!
1: Monsieur? (sighs) Thanks. Uh, Now, let's welcome your hosts, along with Nigel. Uh, Greetings. Liz? Bonjour, mes amis. And Max. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, Max. Aye. Uh, listen, Mosey. Uh, you know I love you like a brother. I. Uh, a wee tiny little brother. Uh, say no more, Max. I am painfully aware. Uh, no, make that excruciatingly aware that my sister Agatha's precious darlings must go.
0: <laughs> Children, stop it! Stop it, I say.
1: It's no use, Liz.
0: Alas. The wee little rugrats?
1: Must you call them that?
0: <sighs> I call them as I see them. Anyway, the wee mouses have figured
1: out that Liz aren't going to hurt them.
0: We oui, Maxie's right. I cannot harm these uh, charming little... For which I
1: am grateful, my pet. Uh, well, uh, moderately grateful.
0: We, oui, but now uh, they know very well that I would not. Uh, why not? A lot of kitties would. Well, I am not like... Some kitties would think it were a buffet. That is not amusing. I mean, if Al were here... Enough! You have made your point. Uh, But we have to do something, no? Aye. Another four days with these rowdy wee rodents. And I'll forget I ever been to obedience school. You You went to to obedience school? school? Well... I did better than this lot! Uh, Well, we have to do something.
1: Well, what do you propose, my pet? Well, let's do what worked last time. Oh, you mean, uh, reward the little fiends with another story time? (laughs) Uh, uh, Agreed.
0: Indeed. We concede. All right. We Moses, close your yaps. It be story time with Uncle and Dancer
1: Lad. Uh, Monsieur? Uh-oh. Uh, fine. Uh, Today we're bringing Chapter 25, The Art of Persuasion, something I suggest all of you work on. Hanover, June 1752 Patrick Henry plopped down to stretch out on the long burlap bag marked salt that rested on the wooden floor he had just unloaded the final crate of goods from the wagon by himself into his general store. He wiped the sweat from his brow and exhaled, trying to cool down on this hot summer day. His brother William hadn't shown up for work today, as had occasionally been the case since they opened two months earlier. After sleeping late, he was likely out fishing or hunting or hanging out with friends. Although Patrick was the younger of the two Henry boys, the 16-year-old was the more responsible one to mind the store. After spending a year as an apprentice with a Scots merchant, learning how to sweep floors, stock shelves, and wait on customers, John Henry decided that Patrick and his brother could make a living as merchants themselves. Since sending them to college was not possible, their choices were either farming or trading goods with those who did the farming. The Piedmont region of Virginia was dotted with Scotsmen who set up small trading houses along the network of rivers. They aligned with the many local Scots tobacco farmers and conducted business directly with merchants in Glasgow, Scotland, trading tobacco for other goods like food, clothing and household items. In this way, the small Scots farmers could bypass the large elite Tidewater tobacco planters and ship their tobacco directly to Great Britain. While the Scots farmers made more profit this way, this angered the Tidewater planters who lost money from not overseeing the shipping of the Piedmont tobacco to England and collecting a fee. John Henry rented a small storefront in Hanover County by the Pamunkey River at the crossroads of Newcastle Road and Old Church Road. Anyone crossing the river would have to go right by the store, and as long as they stocked an ample supply of goods that people needed, and Patrick and William worked hard, business could be good. Patrick and William cleaned the store, installed a long wooden counter, painted the walls, hung shelves, and nailed hooks on the wall to display merchandise. They painted a sign for the outside that read, Henry Brothers Traders, and hung it after they had filled the shelves with the small stock of goods that John Henry purchased to get them started. As they began trading with the locals, the size and variety of their merchandise would grow. Customers didn't just pay for goods with money, but also in tobacco, fruit and vegetables, wild game, fur pelts and whatever else they had or managed to make that other people needed. The Henry brothers would then turn around and sell or trade those goods with other customers. If customers didn't have money or goods to trade, they would ask to purchase items on store credit with a promise to pay for their merchandise as soon as they could. Tobacco was the main crop in Virginia, and most tobacco farmers had to wait and see how the harvest went in order to settle their debts. If they had a good year, they could easily pay back their debts. If the crops failed due to drought or worms, their debts would pile up. Just as the Henry brothers set up shop, so also did a drought in the tobacco fields of Virginia. Patrick's kind-hearted nature led him to listen to the struggling farmers who gave numerous excuses as to why they couldn't pay. He didn't have the heart to turn down anyone who needed help. On the bright side, Patrick and William were able to move back into Studley Plantation with their half-brother, John Syme, Jr., so they wouldn't have to pay for a place to live while they got on their feet. Patrick was also able to see his childhood friends and even go hear Reverend Samuel Davies at Pole Green Meeting House again. Things looked promising for the young Henry boys to make their way in the world, but time would quickly tell if the hopes of their father and their hard work would pay off. Patrick looked around the store from his vantage point on the floor, lying on the salt bag. He sighed, thinking about how he'd like to be doing something other than selling another pound of sugar, a box of nails, a dozen beeswax candles, and two yards of ribbon to customers today. He closed his eyes, smelling the blended aromas of bayberry soap, smoked ham, and tobacco, and remembered the conversation he had with his father before they opened the store. Remember, Patrick, as ye enter the world of business and dealings with men, put to good use our family creed to guide you.
0: Do ye remember it? To be true and just in all my dealings, to bear no malice nor hatred in my heart, to keep my hands from picking and stealing, not to covet other men's goods, but to learn and labor
1: truly to get my own living, and to do my duty in that state of life, until which it shall please God to call me. Patrick sat up and blew a raspberry. (laughs) Time to labor truly to get my own living. He stood up and walked behind the counter to set out the stack of periodicals that had arrived to sell in the store. They carried newspapers like the Virginia Gazette, and because of the wildly popular Poor Richard's Almanac, published each year by Benjamin Franklin, they also carried the Pennsylvania Gazette. Patrick smiled as he picked up the magazine he was most proud to carry, his cousin David Henry's Gentleman's Magazine. Customers were always eager to hear the latest news from London, and although it took a few weeks to reach the colonies, the store filled with happy readers who spent time talking about the latest news from the old world. The door creaked open. Good morning, Patrick, came the lilting Virginia drawl of a middle-aged man with deep smile lines around his eyes. He tapped his wooden walking stick across the floor as he entered the store. Good morning, Mr. Poindexter. How are you today? Patrick answered happily. If I were any better, I'd be you. Jack Poindexter answered with a grin, pointing at Patrick with his long white clay pipe. His given name was John, but everyone called him Jack. The Poindexters were among the oldest families in Virginia. Jack's grandfather, George Poindexter, migrated from Normandy, France to Virginia in 1657. As a merchant and planter, George owned ships with Nathaniel Bacon and participated in Bacon's Rebellion. He purchased land in Middle Plantation and served the first vestry of Bruton Parish Church in Williamsburg. Jack carried on his grandfather's esteemed reputation as a landowner and was one of the founders of Louisa County. Everyone knew and loved Jack. He had a son, Patrick's age, named Joseph Poindexter. I don't know about that, Patrick chuckled with a broad smile. How is your mare doing? Isn't she foaling soon? Any day now. Uh, Give me a block for me, please, Jack said, pointing to a block of salt in the corner. He put a few coins on the counter. I'm hoping for Philly. I've always been partial to girls. Patrick set the salt block on the counter and picked up the coins to put in his money box. "'I hope you get your filly.' He reached over and lifted an apple from a wooden bowl. "'Here, give May a treat for me.' "'Well, thank you, Patrick. I'm sure she'll enjoy it,' Jack answered, putting the apple in his pocket. "'I see the new papers are here.' Patrick smiled and patted the stack of periodicals. "'Yes, sir. I was just setting them out. The new gentleman's magazine is here. You know, my cousin, David Henry, is the editor.' "'And you're not proud a bit, are you?' Jack teased with a wink. He rested his elbows on the counter as Patrick set the paper in front of him. "'Let's see what news he's chosen to share with us.' He puffed on his pipe and lifted his eyebrows as he read aloud a notice that immediately grabbed his attention. "'The Grand Monarch of France strictly commanded his scientists to convey compliments in an express manner to Mr. Franklin in Philadelphia,' for the useful discoveries in electricity and application of the pointed rods to prevent the terrible effects of thunderstorms. Mr. Franklin's idea has ceased to be conjecture. Here it has become a reality. Patrick's eyes grew large. Mr. Franklin was commended by the King of France? He leaned over to read the excerpt of the French experiment. And he's figured out a way to tame lightning? He looked at Mr. Poindexter in awe. What do you suppose will come of this? Jack nodded and kept reading. Great things, Patrick, great things. The door creaked open again, and in came a farmer in his late twenties, covered in dirt and looking forlorn. His clothes were worn, and his face was streaked with the grime of already a full day's work before noon. He nodded at Patrick meekly. Good day. Good day, Mr. Smythe, Patrick replied. "'walking from around the counter. "'What can I help you find?' "'The man looked over at the section of tools. "'He hesitated and pointed to a hoe hanging on the wall. "'I'm in dire need of a new hoe. "'We're working as fast as we can to move the tobacco plants. "'The hornworm destroyed half of our crop last week,' "'Mr. Smythe explained in a defeated tone. "'He clenched his jaw and fought back the emotion in his voice.' I, uh, I know I already owe you a great deal, but I don't, that is, uh, I mean to say, uh, could I take that hoe on credit? Patrick felt badly for the struggling farmer, who was working as hard as he could to battle the elements of drying fields, worms, and a race against the clock. He gave him a reassuring smile and put his hand on the man's shoulder. I'm sorry to hear of your troubles, Mr. Smythe. That wicked hornworm is a tobacco farmer's worst nightmare. He reached up to lift the hoe and brought it down to the floor. I know you'll pay me when you can. Mr. Smythe nodded quickly and his eyes brimmed gratefully. Thank you, Mr. Henry. I'll do my best to pay you from my harvest. Patrick smiled and he lifted the hoe walking to the door. Let's get this in your wagon. Jack had been quietly observing Patrick's compassionate handling of his customer. He locked eyes with the farmer as the man followed Patrick outside. Mr. Smythe nodded and looked to the floor, as if ashamed of his financial situation. Jack smiled and returned his gaze to the gentleman's magazine. He turned the page and thought, ''David Henry isn't the only Gentleman Henry in this store today.'' ''Do you see what I mean?'' Liz whispered to Nigel as they listened in on the conversation from the crawl space below. A shaft of light peeked through a space in the floorboards above them. Nigel and Cato had just returned from Philadelphia, and Liz was showing the mouse Patrick's new venture with the store. My Henry's large
0: heart is wonderful, no? But it may lead to failure for the store
1: if he is not paid for all the goods he gives on credit. I see what you mean, my dear, Nigel said with a concerned expression. But on a happy note, I am delighted to see Patrick carrying his cousin's magazine. How thrilling to see those words about Mr. Franklin travel all the way to Virginia. We oui. uh, Come, let's go, and you can get me caught up on everything, Liz replied. Together they left the crawlspace and made their way down to the Pamunkey Riverbank. Nigel told Liz about their adventures with Benjamin Franklin, flying the kite and the exhilaration of it all. Liz told Nigel all about life at Mount Brilliant, Patrick tipping canoes, and how she helped him return to Hanover by finding the location for the store.
0: I am so very pleased, mon ami. I know that you and Kato enjoyed such an exciting adventure, Liz said. I am sorry you missed seeing Max. He left to go help Gilliman on his mission with George Washington. George's brother Lawrence is close to death, and this will be very hard for him, no?
1: Ah! <sighs> "'How dreadful to lose one sibling!' Nigel lamented.
0: We, George even travelled to Barbados with Lawrence, "'where they hoped the tropical climate would help his brother,' Liz said. "'Sadly, it did not. George even suffered a bout of smallpox while on the island.' "'Oh,
1: dear!' Nigel replied. "'Well, I suppose the bright side is that George will now be immune to that horrid disease.' "'I assume you heard the tragedy of the other George, Al's George. "'His father, Frederick, died of injuries sustained from a blow to the chest "'in a game of cricket, of all things.'
0: "'Oh, quel dommage! "'So 14-year-old George is now the next heir to the throne of England, "'and 16-year-old Patrick is a merchant,'
1: Liz replied.
0: "'Many things are changing now in this mission.' Have you been able to discover
1: what benefit Patrick's job as a trader will yield? Nigel wondered. The riddle's next clue references a voice in the tavern. But this store is
0: clearly not a tavern. I do not know what the tavern riddle means yet. But so far, Patrick has developed a love of reading, which is happy news. He reads every paper, magazine, and novel he can. He just started reading Robinson Crusoe,
1: Liz reported.
0: But when he is not reading... He is listening. The conversations do get quite lively in the store. The humans discuss what is going on with farming, uh, politics, and lately, the land out west. There is much debate about the endless miles of rich land waiting to be explored and developed.
1: Ah, yes. The vast land that belongs to the king back in England, Nigel remarked. Land the colonists are not given the freedom to have.
0: Uh, we... This, of course, does not sit well with the younger generation. They wish to go claim and develop this land,
1: Liz answered.
0: They have heated arguments with older men still very loyal to the king. So Patrick is hearing both sides of many issues from the common people of both generations. I have noticed he does something quite clever. Instead of learning the voices of birds, he is now learning the voices of men. He is no longer tipping canoes... But he is tipping conversations. How so? Nigel asked. When several customers are in the store, Patrick will suggest a particular scenario and ask them what they believe is the proper course of action. He usually suggests something that he knows will spark a debate. <laughs> then he watches to see what they say and then asks why they believe the way they do. Liz explained. "'I can tell that Patrick is entertained by studying their arguments, "'as if he is trying to guess what they will say before they say it. (laughs) "'I have also heard him amuse different groups of customers "'with the same story, but telling it differently each time.' "'As if he
1: is testing out which delivery receives the best reaction "'from his listeners, no doubt,' Nigel noted. "'My dear.' "'It sounds to me like the store is a new classroom, "'one for studying the art of persuasion.'
0: "'Which, of course, is important "'in order for Patrick to find his voice, no?' "'Liz added. "'Well, while he is trying to persuade others, "'someone else is trying the art of persuasion on him.' "'Oh? Who would that be?'
1: Nigel asked. "'Liz grinned.
0: "'Little Sarah Shelton, uh, who is not so little any more.'
1: Due to the heat of the morning, Samuel Davies decided he would hold the Sunday service outside under the shady trees at Pole Green. Fourteen-year-old Sarah Shelton sat on a blanket with Elizabeth Strong, scanning the crowd. "'He's not here yet, Sally,' Elizabeth teased. "'Who?' Sally replied, trying to act innocent. "'You know very well who,' Elizabeth replied. "'Patrick. Have you gotten to
0: see him much since he moved back to Studley?'
1: Sarah smiled and her cute dimples appeared.
0: "'Only a couple of times here at Green, but never for long. He's always seated somewhere else during the service. I visited his store with my mother, but he was busy loading someone's wagon, so William waited
1: on us.' Suddenly her heart leapt as she heard the gallop of a horse and saw that it was Patrick Henry.' She watched him climb down from the saddle and lead his horse to a fence post where he tied the reins. He slowly walked up to the crowd, looking for a place where he might sit.
0: Well, what are you waiting for?
1: Elizabeth inquired, nudging her friend. Sarah took a deep breath and got to her feet. She lifted her hand to get Patrick's attention, and he smiled. She waved him over to join them. Good morning, Sally, Patrick said, taking her hand. He then leaned over to take Elizabeth's hand. "'Hello, Elizabeth. It has been a long time since I've seen you two.' He clasped his hands behind his back, acting much more mature than the girls remembered. Sally's heart was racing. "'Would you like to join us?' "'Thank you,' Patrick replied, taking a seat on the blanket.
0: "'Have you climbed any trees lately, Pat?'
1: Elizabeth teased, breaking the ice for Sarah. Patrick chuckled at himself. (laughs) "'No, not lately.' It's hard to believe that four years have passed since I broke my collarbone.
0: I'll never forget that scary day,
1: Sally blurted out, putting her hand over her heart.
0: I hope you never try anything like that again. I couldn't
1: bear it. Patrick tilted his head and studied the pretty young girl for a moment. Why, Miss Shelton, I didn't know you cared. Sally blushed and was saved by the voice of Samuel Davies calling the church service to order. It was all she could do to concentrate on the sermon. After the service, Patrick said his hurried goodbyes in order to travel over to his Uncle Patrick's house for lunch. Lunch, Sally thought with a grin. A barbecue would be
0: even better.
1: August, 1752 Before, as I walked about, either on my hunting or for viewing the country, The anguish of my soul at my condition would break out upon me on a sudden, and my very heart would die within me, to think of the woods, the mountains, the deserts I was in, and how I was a prisoner, locked up with the eternal bars and bolts of the ocean, in an uninhabited wilderness, without redemption. In the midst of the greatest composure of my mind, this would break out upon me like a storm, and make me wring my hands and weep like a child. Sometimes it would take me in the middle of my work, and I would immediately sit down and sigh and look upon the ground for an hour or two together. And this was still worse for me. For if I could burst out into tears or vent myself by words, it would go off, and the grief, having exhausted itself, would abate. But now I began to exercise myself with new thoughts. I daily read the word of God, and applied all the comforts of it to my present state. One morning, being very sad, I opened the Bible upon these words, I will never, never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Immediately it occurred that these words were to me. Why else should they be directed in such a manner, just at the moment when I was mourning over my condition, as one forsaken of God and man? Well then, said I, if God does not forsake me, Of what ill consequence can it be, or what matters it, though the world should all forsake me, seeing, on the other hand, if I had all the world, and should lose the favor and blessing of God, there would be no comparison in the loss. Patrick was so engrossed reading Robinson Crusoe that he didn't look up when Sarah Shelton and her mother entered the store. He leaned over the open book and mindlessly rolled his flute back and forth on the counter. Sarah and her mother looked at one another and grinned. Finally, Sarah cleared her throat.
0: Mm, "Um, have you met Friday yet?"
1: Sarah asked, stopping the flute mid-roll. Patrick started and looked up in surprise, snatched from the world of being a castaway on a tropical island and thrust back into the reality of being a merchant in a store. "Good day, ladies. Uh, Please excuse me," he said, chagrined as he got to his feet. Puzzled at Sarah's question, he asked. Have I met Friday? Today is Wednesday, so not yet. Liz giggled and whispered to Nigel from their hiding spot.
0: (laughs) He does not realize that Friday is a book character, not a day of the week.
1: (laughs) Indeed, I must say, I am impressed that Miss Shelton has read Robinson Crusoe, Nigel answered. Didn't
0: Reverend Davies give you this flute?
1: Mrs. Eleanor Shelton asked. I seem to remember you playing this at Pool Green. "'Yes, ma'am, he did. And yes, I did,' Patrick answered Mrs. Shelton, watching Sarah out of the corner of his eye. She picked up a bar of lilac soap, and he noticed how she smiled at the lovely fragrance. "'What can I help you with today?'
0: "'We need a pound of sugar, uh, one jar of molasses,'
1: Mrs. Shelton replied.
0: "'And two yards of this blue ribbon, please,'
1: Sarah quickly added, holding up the end from a bolt.
0: "'For my new shoes and hat.'
1: Patrick walked over with a pair of scissors and measured out the ribbon. He instinctively leaned over slightly to smell her perfume. She was dressed in a bright flowery dress, and he had never seen her look so lovely. She turned and walked over to the candles.
0: "'Mother, shouldn't we pick up some candles as well? It will likely get dark before our guests leave.' "'Of course, Sarah,'
1: Mrs. Shelton answered while picking out some needles and thread." Sally picked up a box of candles and set them next to their other items on the counter.
0: "'We're having a barbecue at Rural Plains on Saturday. We have a lot of baking to do, homemade apple pies and even vanilla ice cream.'
1: She let the delicious idea linger in the air for a moment, picking up his flute. "'Ice cream, too?' Patrick replied, putting their items into a small crate. His mouth watered. "'I'm sure it will be a festive time.' Why won't she ask him to attend the barbecue? Nigel asked Liz. Wait, mon ami. Liz grinned at Sally. She has clearly changed her tactics. How much do we owe you, Patrick? Mrs. Shelton asked, spying the copies of the Virginia Gazette sitting on the counter. She smiled and tapped the stack.
0: I'm pleased to see my father's newspaper in your store,
1: Patrick. Her father, William Parks, was the printer in Williamsburg and had founded the Virginia Gazette. "'Of course. No store worth its salt would be complete without Mr. Park's paper, Mrs. Shelton,' Patrick answered, totaling the amount and handing her a bill of sale.
0: "'I seem to remember that you play the fiddle even better than the flute,'
1: Sally said. "'Yes, it's my favorite instrument,' Patrick eagerly answered. He hesitated and then added, "'I could come play for your barbecue, if you like.'
0: "'And done,'
1: Liz muttered with a coy grin.
0: "'Why—' "'That would be wonderful, Pat,'
1: Sally answered with smiling eyes "'as her mother paid for their goods.
0: Uh, "'Thank you for offering. "'Yes, of course, you should come be our guest, Patrick,'
1: Mrs. Shelton added. "'Saturday, six o'clock.' "'Thank you,' Patrick answered happily. "'And thank you for your purchases, Mrs. Shelton. "'Let me help you out with these things.' "'As they walked outside, Nigel turned to Liz. "'So the persuader has been persuaded.' into thinking it was
0: his idea to attend the barbecue.
1: Liz finished his sentence with a grin.
0: Oh, that was indeed well played by Mademoiselle Sally.
1: <laughs> right you are, as she demonstrated some most artful persuasion.
0: We, oui, by playing on the time-honored tradition of getting the boy to show off.
1: <laughs> Aye, feeding his ego. Uh, for let's face it... Uh, Lasses sure do dig musicians.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, you had to sully the moment, didn't you?
1: <laughs> well, I'm afraid, though, the old chap is right. A chance to show off his musical prowess? Well, I can certainly relate to that. Uh, why, once, in a small village in Wales, I actually had the occasion to...
0: I'm sure it was wonderful, Nigel, uh, but Mont Henry could have chosen from two instruments. Aye, he could have been a fiddler or a piper. Persuasive... Piper? Hmm.
1: Uh, you gone with the show then? I just got a wee notion. Uh, well then, as Max puts his notion into motion, <laughs> I say, uh, we shall endeavour to tell you all about the VRK study god. We
0: oui, it goes right along with this season's podcasts.
1: In fact, I say, before we do the old pitch, uh, what say we give it a whirl, what?
0: Bien sûr! Uh, <clears throat> Merci. Now that I have your attention, we'd like to see how brilliant you, you little uh, mice are. Okay, who can answer this? What has John Henry rented for his sons, Patrick and William? A storefront. It was actually the whole store.
1: Absolutely right. (laughs) Well done, Clive
0: and Quincy. How can you tell them apart? Uh, okay, next question! Who is the first customer to enter this store? It was Mr. Poindexter!
1: Indeed! Huzzah!
0: Huzzah! Uh, oui, huzzah! Uh, you are all doing magnifique! Okay, now the last question. In this story, what did I tell your Uncle Nigel about Patrick's invitation to the Shelton's Barbecue? To bring his fiddle? Huh? No! That Patrick thought it was his idea!
1: Ha-ha, indeed. Well done, Daphne.
0: (laughs) Ha-ha, leave it to a young lady to get that one right, no?
1: (laughs) And there you have just a sampling of what's in store with the VRK study guide. Uh, Right, announcer chap? You know, they should put my name in the study guide as one of the questions. Anyway, uh, right you are, little rodent. (laughs) The VRK study guide has loads of questions and fun activities for every chapter in the book. Its creator and Miss Jenny's good friend, Claire Roberts-Foltz, has written the study guide at three distinct levels so you can match it up with the level of your child's comprehension. And it's applicable for homeschoolers in both history and literature. Man, I wish history had been this much fun when I was a kid.
0: But uh, it wasn't history yet. Zing! (laughs)
1: Liz, that sounds like something Max would say. I am picking up his slack. You're right. That was pretty slack. Zing! (laughs) Touché, monsieur. Anyway, if you're ready to have this much fun learning American history, bop on over to Jenny's website, epicorderofthe7.com, and under the Books tab, you'll find the complete VRK study guide for VRK, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key. Again, that's epicorderofthe7.com. And speaking of Jenny, it's time to pay a visit to Jenny's Corner as we welcome her back from her brief yet uh, much needed hiatus. Uh, greetings, Miss Jenny.
2: Hey, Nigel. I understand I missed quite the big family reunion with Nigel's 52 nieces and nephews. Well, well, you didn't miss. That's a lot of little ones to have underfoot, I- but indeed. I'm sure you managed to have a good time, well, actually, Nigel.
0: Uh...
2: Are, are they still here?
0: Well, madame, there is your answer. Okay, settle down. Miss Jenny is talking. Uh, Bring us up to date, civil play, and uh, what has kept you so busy? I have been busy at work
2: writing book nine, which is The Marquis, The Escape, and The Forge, the third book in the Revolution series. And there's a lot of jam-packed action stuff happening here, so it is going to be one of the most exciting books yet. And the main character coming to the forefront is none other than the Marquis de
0: Lafayette. Miss Jenny, we really missed you last time. So what was a a key element you wanted for us to really grasp? Because
2: I missed last week, I wanted to share that crucial scene of Benjamin Franklin testing his theories of electricity and lightning. And as you've seen in the previous chapters, France was the one to test it before Benjamin Franklin even did. This was the setup for the key to unlocking the friendship with France. And it happened decades before we even declared independence. One thing that I wanted to show throughout all of these books is this coming thread of friendship with France. So the key in the title of this book, The Voice, the Revolution, and the Key, does refer in fact to Benjamin Franklin's Key and Kite Experiment and also this key being inserted into the door to unlock the friendship with France. You're going to see this unfold more and more as The Voice, the Revolution, and the Key goes on. And then in the next book, The Declaration, The Sword, and the Spy, and especially with the book I'm writing now, The Marquee, The Escape, and The Forge.
1: Yay! Well, thank Uzzah! you, Miss Jenny. So good to have you back. And, uh, uh okay, guys. Come on, come on, settle down. ay yay! Do they ever run out of gas? Apparently not. Oh, right.
0: you wee moses. Settle down, then. Give it a rest. Max, where have you been? Calling on a friend of mine and digging through me closet.
1: Well, I say, if you don't want to tell us, old chap... I'm getting there. Uh, remember the Pied Piper story? Well, indeed, but, uh, Max, that old boy was a bit of a scoundrel.
0: we oui. he played his flute, which magically got all the rats to follow him out of town, which was, to be in, the art of persuasion, no?
1: Uh, quite, uh, but when the townspeople didn't pay him, he persuaded all of their children to follow him out of town. I say, indeed, a scoundrel. Well, in Scotland,
0: we tell the story just a wee bit different, then. Hey, Crinan! <gasps> Our seagull friend Crinan is here? Oh, a uh, b- b- mon ami. Aye, greetings, Liz and Nigel. Well, Max, I got me entire fleet of seagull transporters ready to fly off a whole bunch of wee mousses. Aye! Good lad, Cranon. Ah, oh, but,
1: uh, Max, they're not scheduled to fly home until...
0: No worries, lad. We're taking the long way home through Orlando, Florida. I hear tell they got a giant mousie what gives the wee ones all they need to wear a out good. I say, brilliant. But, uh, what is your art of persuasion to get them aboard the, uh, Air Cranon? Ah, uh, Max has that all figured out, aye? Aye, with me pipes. I be the Scottish pipe Piper then. You mean... Oh, oh, make it stop, s'il vous plaît.
1: Ah, But but wait... But wait, Liz. Look, it's working. They seem to want to leave.
0: I want to leave.
1: We all do, Liz.
0: I kind of like it then.
1: Well, you have to, Cranin.
0: Aye! <laughs> All aboard, ye wee moses! We're hidden to Florida!
1: <laughs> Indeed. Huzzah! <laughs> Huzzah! Huzzah! And that, with yet another form of persuasion... Uh, you mean the art of persuasion? Uh, not in this case, but that brings us to the end of today's tale. <laughs> the end of 52 tales! <laughs> Liz, high four! High four! Uh, don't you mean high five? Uh, No thumbs, remember? Oh, yeah. Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and the Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderoftheseven.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening, and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grande. day! A bientôt, Huzzah! And ta-ta! And always remember, you are loved and you are able.